Hello, and welcome to the Help on the Way podcast, where we'll be featuring July 3rd, 69. Uh, as frequent listeners will know by the tone of my voice, I am not the game who usually does moderator duties. This is Fig. We are gameless. We are recording on July 4th, and game is doing July 4th things like uh, calming his scared dog down from all the fireworks going off around him. Uh, I'm here with uh, my co-host, Nob. Nob, you say hi to all of our loyal fans. Hi to all of our loyal fans. Yeah, I'm not going to make you say something like like game does. That's that wouldn't be right. That's that's game's thing. Sure, sure. Uh, but I will follow game's thing by jumping into uh, our Channel Six news segment, where um, we will be talking about the recent slew of Dead and Company shows. So we had. Um, at least these three, uh, the run in Boulder, Colorado, at University of Colorado, um, which I thought were killer shows. Did we talk about the, the Indiana show as well? I, I can't recall. No, Deer Creek, uh, Deer Creek and the Boulder shows are all that's happened since last ah, time okay. we spoke about the Dead and Company. Yeah. Do you, you want to give your thoughts? Sure. Um, I've been enjoying what I'm hearing. Uh, yeah. Not every show this tour has been like an all-timer amazing show, but the band's incredibly tight, and there are very few like active dud shows. Uh, and this run, I thought, was pretty strong. I like the Boulder shows a lot. I think the second night was my favorite. Right. No, no disrespect to uh, America's was... sweetheart, Dave Matthews, but <laughs> I thought night two was particularly strong. Uh, well, the second of... night got the Mickey rap, right? Yes. Yes. To tell our listeners about that. Yes, Mickey rapped on Fire on the Mountain like he did in 1974. <laughs> uh, one of those things that he had done it before at like uh, the other ones and, and The Dead in 03 and 04, but I kind of assumed that he was never going to do it with Her. Dead and Company. Because he hasn't done it in the eight, eight previous years of Dead and Company. Yeah, and it's the bit where the drummer raps. Like, it's right. not... Doesn't ne always happen. Well, no it's like I said, like... lines for that. In the there was no big photo. Let Mickey Rap campaign. <laughs> yeah, there's no days since Mickey rapped on the... Uh, oh, but on the set list threads you, on the... There subway. is now. There is now. Don't you worry. That is now part of them. Let Mickey rap. Um, well, I recall when Mickey rapped last that he did this whole fireman, fireman thing. And that wasn't, he, so he wasn't like emulating his, his own rap. He was just doing a, he was just kind of rapping the first verse of, of fire, right? Well, that's the, the, the fireman, fireman was like an additional verse, but, uh, okay. the, the, most of the verses of fire on the mountain, as we know it, are pretty much the lyrics from the Mickey rap with occasional Slight changes, I believe. So the did first Mickey line. write the voc the lyrics to? No. Okay. Hunter did. Hunter did. Okay. That's a that's a Heart Hunter collaboration. Wow. And then Garcia wants uh, the song version of the song happened. Right. No disrespect to the rap, but you know. Yeah, it, it was a sign of the times. Not that we all know off the top of our heads. Sure. 
Uh, and then why don't you talk about what happened just last night, uh, the third night of the uh, Colorado shows where one Dave Matthews came. Yes. Sat in on some songs. Noted enemy of the town of Chicago, Dave Matthews. <laughs> uh. You know, my buddy, anytime that I bring up, anytime that Dave Matthews um, is mentioned, like yeah. that, that is going to be brought up. <laughs> I mean, you have to, because it's one of the great, like it's, it's so funny. Like I, I also don't. I mean, Dave Matthews. I'm I'm a generation younger than you. Dave Matthews doesn't come up in casual conversation as regularly. Right. But whenever Dave Matthews does come up, I absolutely drop the Chicago River incident. So, like, so here's why I, I, I get it. I get it. Yes. So I, I talked over you. Um, it's you know, okay. It, it, it happened. It, it is historical fact. That when driving over the Chicago River, that the Dave Matthews tour bus released, yeah, you know, it's it, it's stored Everywhere. waste, yeah, uh, and it and it just so happened that there was a riverboat tour, uh, as Chicago's want to have, uh, yeah. that was passing at the same time, and uh, you can imagine what happens next. Lawsuits were filed, and people were shat upon. Yeah. Um. But here's my thing about that story. It's not okay. as if Dave Matthews, you know, you know, like, you know, jiggled the handle or, you know, flushed the handle. And then all of a sudden we have no, yeah, yeah, yeah. music history being made. I don't personally blame Dave Matthews here. I don't think he was maliciously like, hey, driver, you got to go dump this bus full of shit on a bunch <laughs> of Chicago tourists. I, Dave Matthews, command you. <laughs> Like, I, you know, it's an accident, a tragic accident. Uh, but but he it's wasn't also... like, moo-hoo-hoo-ha-ha-ha-ing up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. At no point did he rub his evil hands together as his lackeys hatched a scheme about how to drop tons of shit on some random-ass tourists in the middle of the Chicago yeah, river. Yeah. I'm gonna guess. But here I am defending Dave Matthews again. So go ahead, why don't you explain sure. the tie-in? Yes, well, Dave Matthews, noted hero of Dead & Company co-founder John Mayer. Uh, Mayer admitted to that during the show. That Dave right. Matthews was a hero of his. And I was like, hmm. okay. Uh, Interesting. Uh, at the end of the Boulder show, for the last four songs, Dave Matthews came out and joined the band. It was All Along the Watchtower, Not Fade Away, and then a double encore of Knocking on Heaven's Door and The Wait. Um, there seems to be some mixed reception, but it mostly falls down the lines of how did you previously feel about Dave Matthews before <laughs> last night? Um, less to do with the show itself. Um, I thought it was fun. I thought the Watchtower was especially cool to hear the Dave Matthews band arrangement, and the rest of it was fine. Like, I, it didn't make a huge so... impression on me that Dave Matthews was there, especially in the Not Fade Away. He particularly blended in, but besides him taking a verse of the weight and knocking on heaven's door, it was pretty chill for a guest sit-in. And, and DMB is famous for Watchtower, right? Yes. Yeah, so th so it, it, did you allude to the fact that they did a DMB arrangement of Watchtower? Yes. Okay, I interesting. That, I didn't know I that. Okay. Yes. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, yeah. Truth, truthfully, I did not stay up for it, and I didn't go back and, and look at it. I did go back and look at the uh, the Mickey rap, though. Sure. Well, you got it. That, that, yeah. And, and I will say that... Which was cool. Uh, 
yeah, as a music lover of a certain age, um, you know, the fact that in my in my thirties, uh, I am now still talking about John Mayer and Dave Matthews um, is, is 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 intriguing to me because you know the lines, you know, there were pitched battles in in high school. Uh, did you like Dave Matthews Band? Did you not like Dave Matthews Band? Uh, and for me to be, yeah, and the same kind of thing with with John Mayer. I mean, John Mayer in the early two thousands was, wow, um, you know, you either loved him or hated him. So for me to be talking about both of these bands in my late 30s is astounding to me. So for me, it's kind of like a mind-blown thing, and I'm sure other listeners probably have that same feeling about it. Um, so, yeah, let's keep moving on, though. So, yeah, um, they're, they're, they're trucking out west, and it's going to be harder for some of us uh, who need to go to bed by a certain uh, hour to to follow them. But the... We, we, we're wrapping up here. We got two shows in Washington, and then we have the three final shows in San Francisco. Yeah, we're reaching the end. We're reaching the end. The end of the last... Awesome. Yep. All right, so uh, we have a Channel 6 uh, sub-segment here um, that I'm titling When I Paint My Masterpiece. Nice. And we will bring this out whenever art is in the news. But art was in the news um, for... Let's see, I'll say an interesting reason, but then kind of a... Kind of a maudlin reason, or like a sad reason. Do you want to go talk about Stanley Mouse? Sure. And who he is and what happened? Yes. Uh, Stanley Mouse, who uh, is an illustrator, artist, who designed a lot of iconic images for the dead, uh, especially towards the early days of their career, but throughout. Um, his work is is very much synonymous with the psychedelic scene, but especially for the dead themselves. Um he suffered a stroke recently. Mm. Um, we are all, both us here on this podcast, as well as the greater Grateful Dead world, are all very much wishing him uh, a speedy recovery. Um, I've heard rumors that he's doing better, but the official statement was just uh, that he's had a stroke. Um, so, yeah, we wish him the best of health in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to see any of any of Stanley Mouse's work, um, it'll be instantly uh, recognizable to fans of The Grateful Dead or even fans of uh, classic rock in general. Yes. Um, really did, has a phenomenal style and really added to a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of what The Grateful Dead were all about. So um, best wishes and uh, a health, you know, a quick and soon swift recovery for Stanley Mouse. The other thing that I thought was interesting just last week was, it just, just, just caught my eye, uh, there is an Austrian, I believe, artist named uh, Gustav Klimt, a very famous artist, and um, he has, or he had, a painting called Lady with a Fan. And Lady with a Fan just sold in London for a boatload. I believe it was over $100 million that... Um, $108 million. Yeah, $108 million that some um, art dealer paid for uh, lady with a fan, and that got me thinking about Terrapin Station. Lady with a fan, and yeah, and um, now why don't you uh, why don't you tell the audience what you know about you know the Terrapin Suite, Lady with a fan? Like, what are we hearing when we think of Terrapin Station? Is it Lady with a fan? So, okay, there's so Terrapin Station. Where to begin? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I never know. It's one of those things where I could learn this a hundred times and then just, it always, you know, I always forget it after I learn it. Sure. Um, so, 
So the version that we as Grateful Dead fans are generally familiar with is what yeah. the band calls Terrapin Station. And that is generally made up of the first two parts of the Terrapin Suites. That's Lady with a Fan, which is the verse that's let my inspiration flow with token rhyme suggesting rhythm. Um, that whole sequence. Terrapin Station starts Gorgeous at... Hmm? Gorgeous, gorgeous sequence. Oh, yeah. It's great. I'm a big Terrapin fan. It's one of my favorite yeah, Grateful Dead songs. It's fantastic. Yep. Uh, so then Terrapin Station is the section that begins at Inspiration, Move Me Brightly. Oh, okay. Uh, and then, it does feel like another movement. Yes, that's definitely yeah. the start of movement two. Okay. Um, and, and they start talking about Terrapin Station at that point. Yes, to get to and, Terrapin. And that section is aptly titled Terrapin Station. Okay. Um, so then there's a section that's just called Terrapin, uh, which is this slower... Uh, you'll only know these these later parts uh, either listening to the studio Terrapin, which covers all of Terrapin Part 1. We're not going to get into all the other parts of Terrapin that Robert Hunter wrote that Jerry never set. We're just going to deal with Terrapin Part 1 for now, because okay. otherwise this podcast is going to go on for two and a half hours before we start talking about the show. So, <laughs> per tradition, yeah, Terrapin is the slow instrumental part that that is mostly led by a very pretty Garcia melody. Anyway, so then that gets us into Terrapin Transit, which is a short instrumental section that's primarily led by the drummers, Bill and and Mickey. Uh, and then that takes us to the add a sighting section, which is uh, a, another slower part that actually contains the only other bit with actual text. The while you were gone, oh, the other lyrics of add a sighting. Um, and then that takes us into Terrapin Flyer, which is a big instrumental that's built similarly off. Uh, no, it's it's kind of its own vibe. It's a little more upbeat. It's definitely one of the danciest parts Ooh. of Terrapin Station. And there's not a lot of Terrapin I would call dancey. And then, generally, the Terrapin Suite ends with the Terrapin Refrain, which is a repeat of that riff. The... So anyway, okay. that's... All together is is Terrapin Part One or the Terrapin Station Suite. Robert Hunter wrote a lot more words to be a longer Terrapin story, wow. but uh, those have never been, <laughs> at least by the Grateful Dead, ever set to music. Well, so were the other Terrapin? I mean, clearly on the album Terrapin Station, they they played those, but like, did they ever play those live? I mean, I know Terrapin Station came out in '77. Terrapin. You know, the first two parts, as you articulated, were you know heavily featured in Grateful Dead shows in '77 and then onwards. But like, did they ever you know venture into the whole proggy masterpiece of of Terrapin Station as they recorded it? So, the Grateful Dead attempted it once in March Ooh. of 1977, and bluntly gave up in the middle. <laughs> they, uh, what do you mean? They just, they just, and they just stopped in the middle of Terrapin Transit, oh. Part Four of Seven. They just go into another song. Um, like, uh, just do eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 
Do Franklin's. That's only two two chords. Yeah, the Grateful Dead never performed it live. You can hear a lot of post Grateful Dead bands uh, perform mm-hmm. it. Further, I know did for a long time. Phil and friends will from time to time. The Wolf Brothers have been big into the full Terrapin and Sweet. Once wow. you can add the the Wolf Pack in there. Hmm. Um, and then cover bands like J-Rad like to uh, throw the full Terrapin suite out sometimes. Cool. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for that. Yeah, just, you know, that, that news story caught my eye. Um, and uh, I knew that you you had the scoop on, on what Terrapin Station was all about, Lady with the Fan being like the prelude and really being what I think most um, fans of the Grateful Dead really know about Terrapin Station. And it's an absolutely gorgeous song. It always bears... Uh, you know, discussion whenever something like that happens. So at this point, we are going to segue away from our When I Paint My Masterpiece segment, segue away from our Channel 6 second, and and go to our uh, weekly show. So this was a a quick show. Um, It was on a Thursday night show. It was only a couple songs. Uh, The set list was incomplete, so it doesn't get passed down to us in its full glory. Uh, We get... A couple songs uh, featuring Country Dead with Jerry on pedal steel, and then we um, jump into uh, you know some some Grateful Dead classics. So what we have is uh, Green Green Grass of Home into Slewfoot. We get Sitting on Top of the World, Morning Dew, High Time, Me and My Uncle, and then uh, Hard uh, Casey Jones, Hard to Handle, Friend of Mine, and Love Light. Knob, why don't you let's just run through the whole set? And you know, this this must have been like a, a party or something. Mine from what I've read, they played until like the wee hours of the morning and then hightailed it over to Chicago. I guess they got an early morning flight uh, oh. going from Reed's Ranch, Colorado Springs, Colorado to, to uh, Chicago to play the very next day. So, Knob, why don't you tell us your thoughts on that one set wonder? Sure. Um, I enjoyed this one. It's not a a favorite of mine of Primal Dead or 69 by any stretch, but I thought it was a good demonstration of what this band at this period of time is capable of. Mm -hmm. Now, I assume that Green Green Grass of Home was not the opening song of this set. Because that would be a weird vibe. This is where I'm trusting that there are bits of the show that we did not hear on the tape. Um... I will say, it was very good. It's a little slow, but there's some great slide work from Jerry and a genuinely very good vocal performance from Bobby. Right. Uh, I wouldn't have, I'm a sucker for the Tom Jones version of this song, but I wouldn't have minded uh, hearing this stick around in the rotation. Speaking of songs that should have stuck around, Slewfoot. It never would have been an all-time classic, but this... Every time I hear a 69 Dead Slewfoot, I just think to myself, man, I wish they played this on Europe 72, like, twice. That would be really fun. Uh, There's some... This is... On and off throughout the show, there are some feedback monitor issues that make the songs a little tough to listen to. And Slewfoot is one of those songs, but goddamn, the band was going for it. It was great. Some ferocious soloing from Jerry on Sitting on Top of the World. It was just fast, and it was zippy, and it was great. This was definitely a a favorite of mine. Uh, I liked the do a lot. It's an interesting transitional do. It's not as fast as the 67 ones, but hasn't yet slowed down to the 72 tempo. But they are now starting to lean into the sparseness in the arrangement. 
letting things sit. There's a, a confidence the band has in Morning Dew, which is very nice. Yeah. Uh, Jerry's pitch is sometimes spotty, I'll admit. But, oh man, he is putting it all into the vocal performance. It's sensitive when it needs to be, bombastic when needed. Uh, a great guitar solo, uh, really great stuff on This Morning Dew. Uh, a very dynamic high time, which I appreciated. Uh, some very quiet and sensitive verses, followed by these explosions of harmony on the chorus, which was really nice. Uh, you got the fill high harmonies, which weren't always... Um, in tune, but when they worked, they really clicked, and it was very nice and very lively bass work from Phil. Uh, me and my uncle is fine, but if there is a song where the feedback issues become noticeable, this is the worst example. Uh, very well played, just uh, a tough listen. Uh, an interesting take on Casey Jones, it was only the fourth time they had played it. And there was more of like a rock and roll kind of feel to it. And Phil's yeah. bass part reminded me of My Girl. Uh, it was... I can see that. It was gritty at times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a different take, but similar. Sure. It was gritty at times. It's not necessarily the vibe I expect from Casey Jones, but it was a fun experiment. Uh, the feedback issues still plague this one, but the energy is really good. Sometimes I feel like I'm driving that train high on cocaine listening to this Casey Jones. Uh, and the ending is especially fun. Um, it's not my favorite hard to handle. I, I like hard to handle. I like the dead's take on hard to handle. Don't love this one. Uh, it's not bad. It was just noticeably sloppy before the jam. Uh, Pigpen just starts making up lyrics for the second verse, which is very funny to me. Uh, but it's a fine rendition, just not a favorite of mine. Didn't love He Was a Friend of Mine. It was slow and relied on Primal Dead harmonies, and that's never going to be a winning combination in my book. Um, now, Love Light is 27 minutes long. Um, the drummers are in fine form. If you just kind of zone out and listen to what Bill and Mickey are doing, you're going to have yourself a good 30 minutes. Um, it gets kind of repetitive feeling in the first 10 minutes, but genuinely, when we get to the pig pen rap, everybody seems to be putting in the effort of showing off the dynamics that this show has generally excelled at. Uh, pig pen, uh, uh, Love Light is not a song I normally think of for its use of dynamics, but this one I found was able to keep the balance so that it never felt like it was in the same place for too long. Um, I especially loved the post-rap jam that seemed to be Phil-led, which was really cool. And then the real bummer of this tape is that you listen to this 27 minutes of Love Light, you get yourself invested in this 27 minutes of Love Light, and then it just stops. You do not get to hear the end of the song, that is it, goodbye. And uh, that's a little bit of a bummer. But all in all, I enjoyed listening to this show. I thought it was a good one. What did you think, Fig? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I am not the biggest Primal Dead enjoyer. Uh, however, this one was really good. Um, I mean, it had, a, it's a, had its ups and downs. Generally, you and I agree. Uh, the, the one thing I will say is that this was a lovely soundboard, and Charlie Miller did a great job transferring it onto the archive. Um, I thought it was uh, really good. Um, uh, you know, In the very beginning, Bobby's vocals sounded just incredible. Uh, starts off with Green Green Grass, which I agree with is not really a setlist starter. 
Um, so there was probably something missing there. Uh, but we get to hear Jerry on slide guitar. I just have a heart emoji next to my notes there because yeah. it is just wonderful to hear what he can do and really wish we had more of that. Um, um, but hey, that's why you have to go back to Primal Dead for that. Uh, we go into Slewfoot and I wrote bear tracks, bear tracks. It's just a really cool hook. Um, it's a really fun one with more awesome Jerry slide. I really did enjoy uh, those first two kind of uh, country western, maybe bluegrass songs. That was, was a cool way to start uh, the the tape as we have it. And we get to sitting, and I wrote this one fucking rocks. It, it really was. And and you know, generally I kind of complain about sitting on top of the world, how it's not Cream's version. How I prefer Cream, 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 Cream. But this was really cool. Uh, it was just rock and roll, and the riv- rhythm devils were all over uh, that one, and it just sounded really good. Uh, we get into do. Jerry's vocals sound really good. Again, just, you know, me complimenting the tape. But I thought the vocals were a bit screamy and loud. Like, he didn't really know what to do. So he just kind of screamed and belted. And it wasn't great. Um, so not my favorite do. We get in high time. I thought, actually, the harmonies, you know, one of my Primal Dead hot takes is I, I can't stand the harmonies. But this one actually had some good harmonies. Uh, the guitar work was sloppy on high time, which was interesting. Uh, and no guitar solos, uh, which is very rare for a, a high time, very rare for a Grateful Dead song. There were no guitar solos on high time. Uh, we get into Uncle. Again, Bobby sounds really good. This was kind of a dramatic take on Uncle, lots of dynamics, uh, kind of uh, theatrical Uncle. We get into Casey Jones, and so, Nob, you said it was my girl. I said it was Rolling down the rolling on the River, Rolling Down the River by CCR. Rolling on the uh, River. Yeah, on the river. Bear, bear, bear. Well, I'm I'm doing my girl now, but, um, you know, it it had like an interesting rhythmic vibe to it um, that was not quite Casey Jones, um, but I liked it a lot. It, it added an interesting dynamic to a song that we're all familiar with and one that is a huge part of the Grateful Dead's, uh, you know, legend. Uh, I wrote that it was like a freight train chugging along. I really like this Casey Jones. Casey Jones, truthfully, is not one that I rate terribly highly like I, I understand where it, it where it stands in the um you know in in the grateful dead's legend and even within like the larger classic rock um you know story however it's not one that i was like but i really did like this version we get to hard to handle and pig sounds great and the band was giving him some great backing so i did like that hard to handle and a friend of mine, I did like. Uh, it was it was mellow. It was it was it was a vibe. It was relaxing. Um, Jerry had some interesting use of volume pedal on his first solo. It was twelve minutes long. It was long, but it was it was pleasant. It, it was sweet, and and that's something that I'm I'm not used to in Primal Den. It was kind of opened my eyes to that. And Love Light, I got nothing for. I'm glad you could elucidate something on it because I just wrote that Love Light is a thing that happens. Um, you know, it, it's more of a party to me. Love Light. It's it's kind of like you have to be there. It, you know. Uh, it's great that we look back, you know, look back through the decades. Um, it's great that we have access to this stuff, to this material, but I think some of it just does not really warrant this kind of discussion in 2023. And I think some of these love lights are those when you have 30 minutes of people just just partying. You know, it's just party music in the, in the late 60s. And that's cool. And that's that. So um, that was my take on what exists from July 3rd to 69. Apparently that that love light happened as the sun was coming up in July of um, up in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Kind of cool. And they hightailed it out to Chicago. So there is no Scarlet Fire to rank, so we'll skip that. Nob, would this would this rank amongst your book of the dead? No. Yeah. It was good, but no, it's not book of the dead. 
No, I mean, I'm I'm glad that I listened to it. I agree with you. Um, it's not my book of the dead. However, it was a really good one from. Uh, yeah, Primal yeah, yeah. Dead. I was very it's, glad uh, to listen to it. Yeah, about like you know six weeks away from them playing Woodstock. Yeah, uh, they played much better today than than during Woodstock. And I will yeah. say, if you go back and look at '69, they were busy, man. They worked their tails off in '69. Yeah, and yeah, they were all the better for it because really, once the '70s start, they start putting out those big albums. Europe '72, the rest is history. Okay, um, we're we're not going to ask which set because there's only one, but we will ask about who was your MVP knob. Most valuable player or NBM um, musician. Oh, thank you. Um, I wasn't sure what we were doing with this, but it's sure. Um, <laughs> it's confusing, isn't it? I would say, I would say that I think I'm going to give it to Phil. Okay. Um, some of my favorite moments of the show were Phil led jams. And while there were a couple spotty harmonies, not as many as you usually get out of this era of primal dead. So I got to give it to Phil. What do you think fig? Oh, good question. Um, like, I, I guess I'm going to give it to Bobby just because I, I did really enjoy those first country western songs. I like the uncle. Um, Jerry, Jerry was good tonight. It was just, I did not like that do vocals. I just thought he over-delivered that. Okay. Um, so, and I, I did kind of give a shout to the Rhythm Devils. I like the rhythm a lot throughout yeah who cares i'll give it to bobby don't don't tell mickey <laughs> okay so we have one reddit comment actually you know interestingly this was one of the most upvoted threads in help on the way history so i have been huh. stickying yeah i heck, like 27 upvotes and and that's usually i'm averaging 12 um if i'm less than 10 something is wrong either it was taken down or I don't know. People weren't paying attention. I don't know. Like, why do people upvote sticky posts? Do you know? Because I, I know in your set list threads, people are like, gotta upvote it. I never understood that. Uh, Can you explain? Or is that just... Uh, I think it's just being nice, letting people's internet number go up. Oh, um, that's a karma thing. Yeah, like a, hey, no. thanks for doing this. I'm not going to give <laughs> what you money or nothing. What does Reddit care about karma can... anymore? Yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't really <laughs> matter, but just something nice to do. Understood. Okay. So, yeah, so we had 27 upvotes, which was interesting. Um, only one comment. And this was from Friend of the Pod, JWG3. And uh, frequent listeners will know, or anybody who listened to the last show will know, that JWG3 and Knob got into a little back and forth. And uh, everyone discussion. is friendly, dis yeah, discussion, friendly, uh, perhaps um, disagreements. Um, but uh, that is the nature of the podcast, and we, we welcome uh, those kinds of discussions on Reddit or even on the podcast, as, as Nob and I want to do. But um, we have JWG3 giving a, a really in-depth review of 7369. Uh, interestingly, we're, doing, we're recording on 7423, which is kind of cool. So just this week, however many years ago. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting if I try to do a Nob impression of JWG3's comment. So if that does re I as as someone who is okay. a knob and has read through this comment, it does kind of sound like how I talk. It, I, yeah, I it is going, oh that's me. Oh I would yeah. say that. Right. And and when I read this, I'm like, oh I could totally hear Knob doing this. And so 
I'm going to try to do my best knob impression of JWG3 doing their best knob impression. <laughs> so here we go. Some big time whiplash after spending two weeks in the mid 80s and early 90s. Concur on the enjoyment of some Jerry Pedal Steel. The middle of the set got most of the attention with the unique ways the band went about creating Dew's dynamics at the time. They're not there yet, but it's fascinating to hear. As well as making those high time harmonies happen during only its fourth ever performance. In terms of structure, that Casey Jones felt predictably standard. But the field definitely sent the message. That was the third time they'd ever played it. Uh, you're either in the mood for 27 minutes of Love Light or you're not. Luckily, and this might have been because I was multitasking while listening, I hung on for most of them. This felt obviously forgettable from a show perspective, especially given its short length, incomplete recording, and even slightly uncertain set list. It's intriguing for me solely... Oh, it's intrigue for me solely came from getting a glimpse of the dead at this transitional period. What do you think, Fig? And <laughs> seed. That's, uh, that's exactly how I sound. You got me. <laughs> there's, some, needed, there's some novices there. Like three more random uhs in the middle of an otherwise coherent no, sentence. Very articulate. Very articulate. Uh, but we do thank JWG3 uh, for that comment. We're just get, having a little bit of fun with, uh, with the comments that we received there. So let's. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to Knob to introduce uh, the next show in yes. in this party. Yeah, go ahead. Cool. I don't normally do this, but this one's yeah. fun. Uh, next one. week we will be featuring three twenty nine eighty five, which is at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, Nassau Coliseum for those who are cool. Um, <laughs> and we go to Nassau, uh, if you will. Yes, very nice, very nice. Um, this you. one is is personally exciting because this was my dad's first ever Grateful Dead show back in yeah. 1985. Uh, I saw Nob. them here at Nassau. Yes. Uh, and we will be having him on the show next week to uh, discuss it with us, which is very exciting. Very exciting. I, I, um, I'm looking forward to hearing what Mr. Knopf has to say. Interestingly for me and for frequent listeners of the pod, uh, last week's show, we had a down in the bottom into superstitious jam. Actually, last week's show was uh, four days after this week's show, um, you know, within Grateful Dead time. Uh, so last week's show, I think, was like 4.385, and this was 3.29.85. So uh, not last week's show. Well, last week from where we're sitting right now. It gets very confusing when you're talking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, we were, you know, going on and on about... Um, was Howlin' Wolf. Yeah, Howlin' Wolf's uh, Down in the Bottom and Into Superstitious. And actually, we all thought it was one of the best parts of the set. And it'll be interesting to hear how that sounded just a couple nights before. I think this was only like the second time they played it, whereas you know, last week's show was the third time they played it. So that we got some, you know, and, and the cool thing about it is that this is all serendipitous. It's all random. We don't really get to choose what we listen to as long as there is a show um that matches where we are on the spreadsheet that i created about eight years ago of yeah. random dates throughout grateful dead's history and there is something on the archive that we can listen to uh we will listen to it and we will talk about it and we will create a podcast about it um so very strange that we have another down in the bottom into superstitious which is i didn't even know was a suite that they played uh until about two days you know until last week and here we get have it again the the thing about this show, however, Knob, is that it's an odd only. 
Now, yes. there are a couple tapes floating around, and Charlie Miller actually has his hands in, in all those tapes, uh, transcribing them or you know putting them onto the archive. Uh, but there is one that I did prefer, um, so um, we can go onto the subreddit and, and you know just check that out, one out. Um, it wasn't appreciably better, but it, it sounded better to my ears at the very least. Sure. So um, it's not a soundboard recording, but it is um, it's it's something, and I think it sounds pretty good. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about it, and what game has to say about it, and uh, what your dad has to say about it. Yeah, All right, I think so it's going to be a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it big time. And then we might have a special guest uh, even on the show after that too. So I'll just kind of leave that out there. Ooh. So let's wrap up. I want everybody, if you like what we're doing, to please smash that subscribe button, like and share with all your friends, all of your enemies, all your people who may or may not like the Grateful Dead, John Mayer, Dave Matthews Band, the Chicago River, lawsuits, anybody that may be interested in hearing us talk. Um, you can find us. We are usually stickied right there on the Grateful Dead subreddit, www.reddit.com slash r slash Grateful Dead. Uh, we are um, you know, lucky and, and delighted to have that, that top sticky spot generally. And you can check out what we're doing on there and comment and you know, we'll talk to you on the pod. So you can find the podcast wherever podcasts are downloaded, but not ones that loosely rhyme with I'm Chevy Chase and you're notify. Nice. That's a really good reference to a gag from 1975 Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I think that one even went over my head. And, um, yeah, you can find our, our own website on helponthewaypod.podbean.com. If you don't have any other way of finding us, uh, email us at helponthewaypod at gmail.com. And that's all I have to say about that. Nob, any final words? No, any any thoughts I have were just wiped out as as my neighbors finished their grand fireworks display. Yeah, there's um there's a lot of explosions happening outside my window. Fortunately, my pups is uh is, is not one of those that completely lose their mind at uh, fireworks, at least not yet. So, sure, we're all we're good to go. So, um, with that, uh, please stay tuned to seven three sixty nine, and thank you for listening to the Help on the Way podcast.
Walk me out in the morning
could always go wrong Come in when it's raining Go
Yeah. 